He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. To those who believed in his holy name and who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let us pray. Father, for many of us these words are familiar. So we pray that you would enable them to speak in unfamiliar ways. That we might rejoice again at the good news of this season. Amen. Do sit down. It's lovely to be with you. My name's Graham Archer. I live in Kenilworth, up in the Midlands. Um, I work for an organization called CPAS, Church Pastoral Aid Society, and uh, we work in some ways in partnership with this church. And uh, I wrote a while ago and said, could I come down and join in with some ministry with you sometime? And uh, imagine my delight and surprise when I was invited to come and speak at the carol service. That's a real treat. And I have about 20 minutes just to try and remind us again as to why this story keeps being told year after year uh, and why it inspires so many people. A few days ago, a youth leader in a church uh, near where I live was sitting with a young girl. She was 13. She had not really encountered the Christian story much at all. And this youth leader is, is sort of mentoring her way as she's come to faith in Christ and helping to understand what it's all about. And so she said, why don't we look at the Christmas story? And so they read together, as we have listened already, to Luke chapter 2. In these days, Caesar Augustus, decree census, Joseph from Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, town of David, belonged to the line, etc., went to register with Mary. Mary was close to giving birth. There wasn't a place. They found a place. Mary gave birth. 
uh, they wrapped the baby in cloths and laid him in a manger. So they, they, they looked at the story and the young girl said to her youth leader, um, is that it? Is that all that happened? Now, uh, the youth leader thought, but what's going on here? You know, is, is there some thought about selfie sticks and social media and Instagram and uh, WhatsApp messages or whatever? She wasn't thinking that. She was thinking, surely the birth, the most important birth that history has ever known, surely there should have been some you know, great announcement and everyone gathering and some kind of a party and singing and celebration and, you know, a palace or a big house or something or another. And as they began to talk about the story, they, they reflected on the fact that perhaps if you were making the story up, you would write it that way. But there's actually something very small about this event with this small child that took place in a finite way, in a, a small town, in the middle of the night, without crowds. We can so easily identify with it. Matthew and Luke, in their recounting of the story, kind of allow you to see it as a finite story. Now, okay, there are the shepherds, and there's the fields, and there's the angels and all that they had to say. But they just kind of tell the story that helps us think, you know what, I can relate to that. I became a granddad this year. I know it looks impossible, but uh, it happened. Uh, it, actually, it happened really easily. I was just driving up the M1, and suddenly, <laughs> I'm a granddad. <laughs> it's just amazing. Um, but I don't suppose you heard about it, because it happens to hundreds of people every day. It's a finite event. But the reading we've just had so beautifully read to us is from John's Gospel. And John wants us to know that this small event is part of the biggest story ever. And in the big story, there are sort of, well, you've seen them already in the mime. There are four pillars that help us to understand why the coming of this baby mattered. And in these opening verses, uh, John wants us to know what those four pillars are, like there's four pillars behind me. Number one, there is creation. So John begins his letter, his gospel, in a way that would be familiar to any Jewish reader because it reflects the way that Genesis started. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Genesis begins in the beginning. That's what Genesis means. It's not a quote from a rock band. It means the beginning. And John makes it clear that this baby somehow was there at the beginning. That when the Word said, make this, do that, all the rest, Jesus the word made flesh amongst us was there. The big story begins with creation. A story that explains why we're all here and what it's all about. The formless earth becomes filled with teeming life. Anyone watch Life on Earth? 
Fabulous, isn't it? You just kind of look and think, who thought that lot up? And Genesis tells us that all of this life and creativity came from the mind and the heart of a living and creative God. And there in the middle of that creation, as the mime represented, here comes the pinnacle of life development, a man and a woman. The distinctive thing about these people is that they are made in the image of God. They will not just be driven by animal instincts. They will be able to pause, reflect, understand, and make choices. In the image of God, they were formed. In the beginning was the Word. In Him was life. And life was the light of all mankind. And nothing was made without Him. Jesus, as He walked this earth, walked the earth as the one who was involved in the creative process. It's a long story, but I happen to have a couple of farm animals in my pocket. My daughter's getting married on a farm and she wanted, uh, she wanted to have people's names on little farm animals on the table. Cute, I thought. Dad, can you make them? So, <laughs> so I started with a few bits of wood and I saw her yesterday, so I took along a couple of animals and said, is this the kind of thing you're looking for? That's a piggy. That one's easy to see. It's a duck. Um, so I showed them to her, and we had the family together, and they were looking at them and saying, oh, yeah, it does look a bit like a pig. It does look a bit like a duck. And they were chucking them to one another. I was saying, whoa, hold on a minute. I made those, because that's what we do when we make stuff. Take care of it. I've put a lot of work into that. And when Jesus walked this earth and he met men and women and boys and girls, was he a dictator that had come down to shout and yell, tell people what to do? What we see is he who made and formed human beings, greeting men and women in their brokenness and suffering with such tender love and embrace, occasionally getting angry with those who threw people around and wanting to say, hands off. I made them. They have a purpose. They have a beauty and a dignity because they are made in the image of my Father. Also in the story of John is the second pillar. The second pillar is fallenness. And again, that was beautifully illustrated to us in the mime. The, the language of darkness is in contrast to that of light. Elsewhere it says, and men preferred darkness. Darkness is pervasive. Darkness is unpleasant. Darkness contains fear. Darkness is the place where people are used and abused. We, we don't have to look further in our daily papers, do we, to see the evidence of darkness here on earth amid the headlines about uh, Theresa May's leather trousers and One Direction Louis' mum, we find exile, bombings, fear, state-sanctioned doping, dictators, etc., etc. And just as I want to reassure myself that, that, that the problem is out there, 
three fingers point back in my direction. And so often we distract ourselves with what other people do to collude with darkness rather than acknowledging it in ourselves. And John writes about the darkness. He came to the world that was his own, but his own did not receive him. They were too busy going about their own stuff and allowing the barrier between themselves and each other and God to get thicker and thicker and thicker. I believe that we're all people of faith. But when we lose touch with the one who is God, we, we make gods in our own image. I wonder what, the, uh, what an alien visiting the earth would think about the church's year. I was just re- think, looking at it uh, recently and thinking about it and thinking, what have we done to the kind of Christian seasons? We've turned Christmas into a shopping fest. We've turned Easter into chocolate. We've turned St. Valentine's Day into sex. We've turned All Hallows Day and Halloween into sweets and ghouls. St. Patrick's Day is about beer. St. George's Day is about football. We're great at making gods in our own image, aren't we? Shopping, sweets, beer, sex. It's like, let's reshape the church's year. One of the things I've always loved about Advent is the feeling that it's kind of it still has its own identity in the run-up to Christmas. And I realized Advent Sunday was happening in Black Friday weekend. I'm thinking, lost that one as well. God's in our own image. But the trouble with the gods that we make in our own image is that they're no use to us. They can't help us. Well, chocolate can a bit. But at the end of the day, they aren't gods. They are things we have made, not things that have made us. So number three, the third pillar is redemption. Jesus comes into the world gloriously honoring that which he has made and acknowledging the darkness that exists, not being feared by it, starting his life as a refugee, rushing from danger. And his life is still celebrated because what we see in him is a kind of redemptive quality that turns darkness the other way up into light. So the woman caught in adultery who is about to be stoned is given a whole new chance. The the man with leprosy and a disease that meant that he was an outcast finds himself healed. Those with disabilities that put them on the outside of society are healed. Those who are dishonored publicly are acknowledged. The centurion, the Jewish leader, see resurrection. Jesus brings life, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. And that was the evidence of Jesus as he walked this earth. In one sense, it's a shame he had to die, but we all do, and he decided to make his count. Paul, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, said, I want to remind you of that which is of first importance. That makes you sit up and think, 
What is of most importance? Paul writes, Christ died for our sins, as was promised, and he rose again, as was promised, for our sins. His death and resurrection was invested in human life so that those things which condemn you and I have been switched around. He takes the punishment. You and I can go free. Jesus was as good as his word when he said, greater love has no one but that he laid down his life for a friend. And then he walked the walk as well as talking the talk. I'm sure you know the story of the hymn Amazing Grace that was written by John Newton. He was a foul-mouthed slave trader who was twice close to death because of the punishments he had at sea until one day he thought he was going to die in a storm and he said, Lord, have mercy on me. And he said that was the beginning of his journey to grace. He said it was totally undeserved. And so he wrote the words of the hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a, a nice guy like me. And I know, that saved a wretch like me. Today is the 46th anniversary of the day that the hymn Amazing Grace entered the charts, uh, sung by Judy Collins, uh, a cappello with a choir. Uh, it, it entered the charts, it went out again, it came back in, it went back out. It's like the hokey-cokey. Amazing Grace came in and out of the charts eight times. It was in the charts for 67 weeks. And they asked Judy Collins, what's the trick? She said, I don't know, she said, but I think everybody needs grace. The fourth pillar, the grace of Christ's death and resurrection and redemption. And the fourth pillar is restoration. You know, Jesus didn't just want human beings to survive life. He wanted us to live forever with him. He is the expert at restoring lives. To those who received him, John said, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children, children born of God. I can call God Dad. how great a distance I may have traveled from him. But Jesus once told the story and said, if you ever know, want to know what God is like, imagine somebody whose son cleared off with half of his possessions and wasted the whole lot. And then one day he thought, this is ridiculous. I'm living the life of a slave. I've got nothing to eat. I feel terrible. I'm going to return back to the father. And as he returns, rehearsing what he's going to say, Dad, I'm so sorry, I've blown it, I'm not worthy of your, being your son anymore, etc., etc. He sees that the father is standing at the gate with arms outstretched, longing to welcome him back. And Jesus says, that is what God is like. Just when you thought he was a headmaster, who couldn't wait to catch you out, you realized he couldn't wait to sweep you up in his arms and welcome 
you home. Just in conclusion, I don't know if you saw the story uh, last year about Justin Welby, uh, where a reporter had discovered that his real dad, or the person he thought was his real dad, wasn't actually his real dad. And I loved the interviews with him about that time, because people seemed to be saying, that is going to undermine your whole understanding of yourself, isn't it? That the person you thought was your dad isn't. And Justin Welby said... My identity comes from being a child of God. And nothing has changed that. What a lovely thing to say. Is that your identity? Is it mine? So in conclusion, as I said, this year I became a granddad. Asher George was born in June. And I've got plenty of photographs in my pocket. I'd love to show you them but I don't suppose you want to see them. (laughs) There's always one. That would be very kind of you. However, that which is great news for me is not great news for you because it's just a story of a little child that was born. You'll probably never meet him and his life won't make any difference to yours. But when the, little, when the girl said of the story of Jesus' birth, is that it? John's response is, oh, let me tell you. This is a big story and you need to know it because this story is for you. So the angels that did have the party cried out to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people because for you in David's town this day has been born Christ and he is Lord of all. That's the basis of a Merry Christmas. Be blessed.